Coming up, a family saga set in Costa Rica. A story about racism and hope. Plus, our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. When we did our episode about Costa Rica back in season three, yeah. I recommended a lighthearted romantic adventure novel, the modern classic Jurassic Park, and a short story collection that includes a magical story that I still think about at random moments. That's so nice when a story stays with you like that. It's really in there. I enjoyed all of those books, but at the time, I was disappointed that I couldn't find a juicy family saga to round out my picks. That problem has been solved with the new novel, Where There Was Fire, by John Manuel Arias. Here's the setup. The book opens with the memory of a devastatingly hot night in Costa Rica in 1968. These are the first few lines of the book. Some still talk about how hot that night was. Old women whisper it over coffee. They're just as old husbands debating over checkers outside. Even a tow truck driver named Lewis, born that night, has been told about the malignancy of the heat, its teeth. You know how hot that night was right now, right? (laughs) On that memorably hot night, two terrible things happened. The American Fruit Company's largest banana plantation burned to the ground, and a man named Jose Maria murdered his mother-in-law in in front of his wife, Teresa. Mm -hmm. Almost three decades later, Teresa is still living in the family home with only her mother's ghost for company. Yikes. And Teresa's daughter wants nothing to do with her. But the daughter is also painfully curious about her family tragedies. This is the story of how these surviving family members try to reconcile the events of that terrible night. According to the reviews I read, the author layers this family story with Costa Rican culture and the real-life history of exploitative plantations and the use of toxic pesticides at the American Fruit Company. Publishers Weekly called the book a rewarding outing from an exciting new voice with a prowess for lyricism. Sounds really good to me. Yeah. That's Where There Was Fire by John Manuel Arias. And if you haven't listened to our Costa Rica episode yet, please do treat yourself. It's a pretty good mix of the real Costa Rica and the vacation Costa Rica, so you get both sides of the story. James McBride is an author and a musician. He won the National Book Award for Fiction in 2013 with his book, The Good Lord Bird. He also wrote The Color of Water, a black man's tribute to his white mother. That was released in 1995. The book spent more than two years on the New York Times bestseller list and then found its way onto a whole lot of high school and college reading lists. All of that may make it sound like McBride is some kind of do-your-homework-and-eat-your-vegetables writer. It does a little bit. A little bit. He is not. He is just as interested in telling a good story as he is in helping his readers see other people's lives. He's got a new book out. It's called The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store. I love that title. Yeah. It starts with a murder mystery. Chapter 1, it's 1972, and the Pennsylvania State Police have found a skeleton at the bottom of an old well. The well is in a neighborhood called Chicken Hill in a town in Pennsylvania. The police approach a man, Malachi, who's described as an old Jew with a single yellow tooth, and they ask him some questions, and he does not seem overly eager to work with them. And then the end of that first chapter is amazing. 
For starters, the writing sings. I was very tempted to just read the whole thing to you. Mel was not spared that fate. I did read the whole (laughs) chapter to her. It was really good. That first chapter describes an act of God that destroys the crime scene. A storm comes and it floods the whole area. And it tells you the end of the story. Here's what happened to these characters you are going to read about. We are told that injustices have been done, but by the end, the story tilts towards the good and the just, even if only slightly. And then the book jumps back to 1925, and we meet two of the characters we just heard about, a Jewish theater manager and his wife. She runs the grocery store of the title, and the story slowly winds its way back to how the skeleton got in the well and who the skeleton is and all of the associated action there. This is a book with a big cast, and the narrative is passed from one character to another. It's more of a story about a neighborhood than about any single person, and I'm very much looking forward to reading it. It's The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. That sounds amazing. Doesn't it? And now our distraction of the week. A few weeks ago, Dave and I went to the United States to see family and friends that we hadn't seen since 2019. Yeah, it'd been a while. We landed in Philadelphia about one o'clock in the afternoon, and by three, we were doing the only reasonable thing. We were eating Philadelphia cheesesteaks in South Philly. (laughs) It's true. So before I get into the story, let's define a cheesesteak for people who've never had one. It's a long, crusty Italian roll filled with thinly sliced ribeye beef and melted cheese. If you order it with fried onions, it's called getting it with, which is pronounced wit, as if it starts with a capital W and the ending H doesn't exist. Yeah. I'll take a cheesesteak wit. There you go. You can also add peppers and mushrooms. Yeah. There are tons of places in Philadelphia to get cheesesteaks. But the most famous, or at least notorious, are Pat's and Gino's. They're both found in South Philly. That's the area around the Italian market. And they're right across the street from each other at the corner of 9th and Passionc Avenue. We were staying with our friend Ellen, and she's like a block and a half from there. And so we just wandered over. And I was shocked, even though I knew they were right across the street from each other, to find out exactly how right across the street from each other they are. (laughs) It's true. Pat's was first. Yep. In 1930, Pat Olivieri had a hot dog stand on that corner. As the story goes, one day he got sick of eating hot dogs, and he sent his brother to the butcher for some meat. Then he cooked a ribeye steak on his hot dog grill, chopped it up, and stuffed it into a roll with some onions. Just as he was about to eat it, a cab driver friend of his swung by for a chat, saw the sandwich, and asked for one. Pat told him, I don't have any more, but you can have half of this one. The cab driver took a bite and said, forget hot dogs, you should make these. (laughs) I like a story with a magical cab driver in it. I do too. Yeah. Then came Gino's. Yep. In 1966... A neighborhood fellow named Joe Vento was super into cheesesteaks and decided to get into the business himself. As the legend goes, he set up shop across the street with just a box of steaks and $6 to his name. Yeah. When his son Gino was born five years later, he renamed his restaurant for his kiddo, and that Gino still runs the shop today. Both Pat's and Gino's have the same menu. Cheesesteaks, fries, sodas. 
There's a condiment bar where you can add hot cherry peppers to your sandwich and get ketchup for your fries. That's it. Yeah. They both have picnic tables on the sidewalk. Yeah. And the prices are the same at each place. Yeah. Just to clear things up, this is just a sort of a walk-up window set into a building for both places. Order your sandwich as quickly as possible, sit at the picnic table, and shove it in your mouth. Yeah, they are both set up for high-volume operations. Yes. In the name of research, we visited both Pat's and Gino's at the same time on the same day. For science. For science. To be clear, both shops use the same kind of meat and cheese with options for American, provolone, and cheese Whiz. But they get their bread from different bakeries, and they cook their meat differently from each other. Pat's uses thinner slices of beef that sort of break down on the grill as they're cooked. That means in the sandwich, the meat and cheese kind of melt into each other. Gino's uses thicker slices of beef that are chopped into sort of chunks on the grill. We got both of our sandwiches with onions, and I chose provolone as our cheese because I thought cheese whiz sounded like a travesty. However, our friend Ellen is on Team Cheese Whiz. Yeah. And she added a pat sandwich with Cheese Whiz to the tray of food we were trying. She did. Without objection, I will say. No, I'm always happy to try more cheesesteaks. Yeah. So, Dave. Yes. Would you like to talk about your impressions of Pat's <laughs> versus Gino's? So first we went to Gino's and I got a sandwich. I was jet lagged, but I thought the experience was rushed. <laughs> it felt very brusque to me. And then we sat down and I tried the sandwich and I was like, it's okay. I was okay with it. It felt a little touristical. You weren't blown away. I was not blown away. Then we had Pat's. And then I was like, oh, they're onto something here. And we had the provolone one first. And that was delicious. And I think it's because, in part, I like the freshness of the bun and the flavor of that. And like you said, the way they cook the meat, there was more sort of charness and more meat and cheese mingling. And then we tried Ellen's Cheese Whiz sandwich. And that was the big winner. I think we were both surprised to find ourselves on Team Cheese Shocked. Shocked. (laughs) The way Pat's cooks the meat and then mixes it with the Cheese Whiz makes it gloppy in a way that is very satisfying. Yeah. I know gloppy is not an attractive sounding word, but it has a really nice mouthfeel. The roll that they use is crusty but tender, and it just kind of hugs that meat and cheese melange. And the onions were cooked perfectly. Yeah. It was so good. Yep. I feel like on Friday nights, when we're sitting down to watch a movie, I'm going to be thinking about that cheesesteak and wishing I could somehow have one. And then we posted on Instagram that we had done this experiment and were immediately told by all the locals that we were doing it wrong. It's true. The prevailing wisdom is that locals don't go to either Pat's or Gino's. Our friends on Instagram gave us recommendations that included Jim's on 4th and South Street, which came up multiple times but is currently closed because they had a fire, but they will reopen according to their website. Tony Luke's, which I think has 21 outlets around Philadelphia. Someone suggested McNally's Tavern in Chestnut Hill for a chicken cheesesteak. And we got one vote to skip the cheesesteaks altogether and instead have the roast pork sandwich at Paisano's. (laughs) 
I am skeptical of a chicken cheesesteak, but I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. I mean, we were skeptical about the cheese whiz, and look how that turned out. That's true. Important to note, almost all of these places will ship nationwide. So if you're in the United States and this has made you hungry or you have a cheesesteak emergency, you can go to their websites and get long-distance delivery. You could also make one of your own. You can. I'm a big fan of the book Sandwiches That You Will Like. Yep. And there is a recipe in there that I believe is adapted from Pat's to make a cheesesteak at home. I will share that on our blog. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for links to all of the cheesesteak goodness and for more on the books we discussed. Also, you can always hit the handy links in the podcast description instead of going to our website. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. 